Welcome everyone to another edition of the Candid Podcast. Um, we're back again uh, into your living rooms uh, by way of uh, YouTube or uh, wherever platform you're watching this or listening to this. Um, today I have my friend Mondio and Stanley um, and myself, Bane. Uh, we are here today to discuss the insecurity um, in Nigeria and also the um, the new installment of uh, the service chiefs, the security um, team of the president for Nigeria, the, the military um, leaders uh, that we have in Nigeria. Um, obviously, the background to this is that for most of this administration, we have been, as Nigerians, bedeviled um, with a lot of insecurity issues, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of flashpoints from community communal violence to terrorist attacks to militants attacking and ransacking and sacking um, villages on the fringes of, of the country and even in the in the hinterland as well. Um, so what, what we're going to be talking today is just is just to talk about the issues. Uh, around um, insecurity and because the people in charge of uh, the nation's security are military chiefs uh, and, and the head of the police, we're also going to be talking about the fact that we now finally have a new set of um, defense um, leaders, uh, military leaders. Right, so I'm going to start by um, letting uh, Monju explain, you know, to us and from his own, from your own point of view, Monju, what do you think um, is is really happening in terms of the insecurity in Nigeria? Like, what, 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 what has brought us here? I know, I know, it sounds cliche, but sometimes it's good to just have a recap of what has brought us here and what's happening now. What's what. What do you think can be done? So, what do you? Okay. Um, yeah. So, thanks. Thanks for that question. So, I, I am. I'm going to be. Let me. Let me try and apologize um, beforehand. I'm going to be quite generic uh, in my response, but the reason is, um, I think there's a there's a degree of detail that you might need to go into if you want to talk about certain topics, right? So. When it comes to insecurity, let us go back to where, when Boko Haram became an issue. So if, I mean, the biggest security issue in Nigeria right now is domestic terrorism and Boko Haram is top of that list, right? So how did it start? Um, when this leader, Stanley, remind me of his name again, Yusuf, right? Yusuf, yes. Yusuf yeah. When, when um, Yusuf... See, I, think it's, I think it's Muhammad Yusuf, isn't it? Muhammad Yusuf. Muhammad yeah, Yusuf, Muhammad Yusuf. Yes. Muhammad Yusuf. yes. Yes, yes. So when, when that issue started and uh, the, the, the current head of uh, Boko Haram, what is his name again? Shekau. Shekau was, was number two, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was Yusuf's number two. So... At the time, we had the opportunity to nip this in the bud. 
we messed that up because Boko Haram was just a movement in the uh, northeastern part of Nigeria. And until they became extreme and we uh, got rid of the leader, unfortunately, we did what we did. We still had the opportunity to deal with these guys and it went out of hand, right? So a lot of us thought, you know, I'm not trying to remove myself here. A lot of us thought that we needed somebody with a very strong um, military intelligence to be able to deal with this Boko Haram threat once and for all. And that was meant to be our current president. Um, but if you look at what, what we've done since he became president uh, to where we are today, you can say that we haven't done enough. And it looks like, and what, what really bothers me is the accusations of corruption. That the, the, the elements in charge of addressing this issue, especially the Boko Haram issue, uh, ESWAP, that they've been embezzling a lot of funds and the budgets that have been appropriated for um, or, they, or they have been put aside to fight this um, insecurity that they've been embezzling it. So I can't really argue incompetence when there is corruption as well. So how do you put those two together? And so we so we are currently battling that. And then with the with the with the speed of kidnappings across the country now, and the way it's become so rampant. I was speaking to a family friend a couple of weeks ago. He was posted to he, he works with Nigeria Bureaus and he was posted to I think it's Benue. Was posted to Benue and he was telling me about how easy it is to just kidnap people now nowadays and he said he had to like pay like a premium to his to his driver to make sure that they don't kidnap him because his driver knew most kidnappers in the town and it was just a case of word of mouth that you know this guy is is, is paid and he's one of us and we are not going to touch him. Like, that's how bad it is. And he even says something along the lines of, you know, the um, like law enforcement is in on it as well, uh, based on one kidnapping that happened and they kidnapped a DSS officer and, and that DSS officer found out that there were like law enforcement folks involved and military as well. So it runs deep that way, that even when you want to argue incompetence you also have then have to look at how it has become a huge money-making machine now that the guys that are meant to be keeping us safe are involved in the practice as well so and to tell you how bad it is i was reading a report um i think it's it's uh they they quoted this world global terrorism index and we are the third most terrorized country in the world yeah uh, and it's it's i think they use 2020 or 2019 data so it's very current and according to that report they're saying boko haram strike at least 
13 times on a monthly basis. 13 times on a monthly basis. So we've gone from why is President Jonathan not moving to apathy? That's what we have right now. It's just apathy. Most people just, they've given up. They don't really care. Unless it's affecting you personally, people just move on. And we've just allowed the current administration to get away with murder. And how can we address this? We can address this by changing the perspective. Like we have to be able to, to change the way we pay attention to this current um, issue of um, insecurity because we've just accepted it. Nigerians have just accepted it. And Stanley, if you, if you, if you can recall, the way we held President Jonathan um, accountable or the way we tried to hold him accountable or the way we criticized him for things that happened under his administration when it comes to insecurity is far, far different from what we are doing now. Most of us that were very vocal at the time We've kept quiet. And this is actually one of the reasons why it's been so easy for the current administration not to actually move their feet a lot quicker. Look at how far it took or how long it took. Um, it took the president to finally, finally get rid of these uh, service chiefs. We've been calling for it for how long? And he finally pulls the trigger in early 2021. So... Again, it's it's a difficult one for me because I don't know how we are going to get rid of this. Because right now, based on the stats, based on the data that we're that we are looking at, it looks like 2021 is going to get worse. And people are even saying that it might come down south as well, that Lagos is not safe, that they are currently hearing about potential attacks on public infrastructure. Again, can you rule these things out? You know, nothing is definitive. There's no, you know, there's no confirmed source for this. But again, you can't. What are we currently doing to uh, to mitigate these uh, potential risks? You know, so it's it's really, really difficult to then say, I mean, the only positive is, okay, we have the new service chiefs now. And it looks like, you know, based on reports that they appear to be competent. So... We'll see. We'll see what we we'll see what they do, but I, I'm not very, very positive. Uh, Bane, if you if you ask me. Yeah. I completely. I mean, I, I think you basically touched most of the points, to be honest. I think when it comes to the issue of security in Nigeria, um you know, there's nothing there's nothing new per se. It's just still the same Nigerian situation where Everyone is in it for themselves, you know. And I I think, and I keep, I do this on all our, and I think one of the reasons why we do this, why we talk about this, is talk about the root causes, to always go back to the root causes. Because I think one mistake we make as Nigerians in our public discourse is that we spend so much time talking about um, symptoms that we never talk about the very root causes um, and again, you can't separate it from the fact that there's no sense of nationhood. I mean, if you look at the typical, some of the countries that we aspire to be, I mean, we, you're, you're in Canada, I'm in, I'm, in, uh, I'm, I'm in the United Kingdom. At the very, I'm not saying that their military is perfect, but 
for you to rise up the ranks in the military year, you absolutely have to display a certain level of, you abs not just display, you definitely have a certain level of patriotism. In other words, you actually believe in this country. So the thing with Nigeria is that we still haven't answered some of our fundamental issues and it's just one of the ways it plays out. And that's why it's easy for everyone to, for, you know, for, for the main actors in our security apparatus to actually, as, as, it, as it's been alleged, to actually take part in some of these, you know, some of these, nefarious and illegal activities is because they don't see Nigeria as their own. It's just basically, man, it's my turn. Omar is my turn. And you know, I have many people depending on me. And if I and if I don't max out, people my people are going to be like, man, no be you be Jesus, you know, or stuff like that. So again, I always like us to, I always like to dial back to that very Take us to the reason why we are where we are because it's uh, and many people keep many people accuse us of us that ask for for restructuring they accuse us of of making it a silver bullet it's not we, we've never i mean i have never claimed that it's a silver bullet but it is a major step that would automatically force us to think of nigeria will, will give us a sense of ownership and from there, other things would, you know, happen. You know, you begin to find that people that really love the idea of Nigeria will rise to, to the top. So, Stanley, um, can you just talk us through what you think about, like, the um, the new service chiefs? I mean, it's taking, it's taking almost, well, it's taking, what now? Like six years, five, six years for him to yeah. finally do it. I mean, there have been if 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 this was another country, there probably would be answering a lot of questions in the in the National Assembly in 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 yeah. insane, insane climes, as we like to say. In 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 Congress, <laughs> Congress will be going crazy. Oh right my now. god, in Congress there'll be there'll be you know multiple be, hearings. Multiple hearings, not hearing to be given an ambassadorial role. Yeah. It's just, it just takes... criminal negligence. Oh my god! It just, it, you know, yeah. I mean, the Grenfell. This just a quick aside. The Grenfell disaster here. Um, the the guys in charge are being um are being um accused of um of negligence of yeah of of manslaughter. Exactly. Corporate, corporate manslaughter, if I'm correct. Uh, and so, that is that is what it is. Exactly. Yeah. So. You know, so um, Stanley, I don't want to take it to your time. So, what do you think about the? What do you think about what we have now? Do you think this is a step up from what we have? And do you think it was good enough for us to wait till now to change uh, guards? Um. Um. So first of all, I um, you should we should remember that um, the new service chiefs are not exactly outside us to the process they've been they've been integral to this fight um they've been part of the of the fights against boko haram the current the new chief of army staff used to be um the head of the operation lafayette doll uh the guys who were responsible dole. for the dole <laughs> lafayette Lafaya Lafaya Dole. 
there, yeah. Pardon my house You have anglicized. Yeah, so um, so he was part of that. Uh, he was part of the of that fight. So he's not exactly new. In fact, in 2017, he was sacked as the head of that operation. So that is for the chief of army staff. Yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm saying that because so that we don't act brand new. Um, you know, you haven't exactly what changed is the name. You know, it's still the same team. And and I'm not saying that because I was expecting them to appoint somebody from outside. I'm saying it just so that we can manage our expectation of this of this change. Is not is not the magic wand as we as we expect. The the problem with our fight against Boko Haram is more institutional than it is about about the individuals. I'm, I'm not excusing. Um, the retention of the outgone army chief beyond their their term of service and all of the extensions and leeway, leeway they were given. I'm not excusing, but I'm just saying that look, let's manage our expectation within the context that, um, for instance, the chief of army staff, the current the new chief of army staff, used to be the head of the operation against uh, Boko Haram, and he was fired after multiple attacks on the. Um, on on you know some of the bases not in military installation and there was even um, sort of protest from some of the soldiers who were fighting uh, in the region. So let's let's put that um, let's keep that in mind. Was that can I can I just continue, Stanley? Yes. Was sure. it under him yes. that we had that really viral that video that went viral about a really tough? He, so you know was that he was, I think it was directly under another. Army officer, but he oversaw everything that happened in the region under the operation Lafia Dolly. Okay. Yeah. So just putting that in context. But but generally, I think I think that I think that um, first of all, there are different levels to the leadership structure that tackles um, you know this insecurity. Um, we, of course, the once it's security, everything operates in secrecy. But I, I, I wonder what sort of leadership came from, you know, the commander in chief in terms of how the fight was pro progressing. You know, you remember at some point he ordered the army chiefs to re uh, uh, to relocate to the region and all of that. But let's not let's not um, view the insecurity challenge as a northeast challenge, as we have seen. Uh, kidnapping has now taken a new life of its own and has grown, as Mondu said, you know, on a larger scale. We are now, and we're now seeing that school children are like the priciest of, you know, targets that every, any kidnapping group, because as soon as you take kids, everybody's up, up in arms trying to get anything and then ransoms are being paid and all of that. So we, and then you see all of the regional tension, the, the fight between, um, headmen and farmers that has now taken a, a an ethnic dimension and you know has become tribal war in, in of sorts and you know you've seen uh, even governors exchanging words about how the problem will be solved so like there are many dimensions to it there is the you know criminalized um, kidnapping of school children there is the regular type of kidnapping the type. Uh, Mondu was talking about there's a chance to travel on certain road for the longest time. Um, Kaduna Abuja Road was a no go area, and I remember one time we had something we needed to do in Kaduna. The reason we called off the, the trip was you know, 
you know, thinking of how do we get armored vehicle, get security, you know, to be able to travel by road to Kaduna and all of that. So we've seen we've seen that the the challenge has continued to grow. Um, there, there's not been de-escalation; it has just continued to escalate, and new dimensions being added to it. You know, you saw the ethnic tension we saw in Ibadan. You know, so there is just all all sorts, and it's multi multifaceted. It's hydra headed. It's, it's like becoming a huge monster that we don't know. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be uh, end in sight, or like a clear strategy for tackling. But but like you said. Is our centralized nature, decentralized manner, our security architecture has been organized? Is that really is that the problem? And I'm asking this as a question because sometimes I'm I'm wondering um, if and we know that our governors are crazy, but if they have some sort of uh, local police, decentralized police, and responsibility to close down, right? Somebody, somebody somewhere directly involved is taking responsibility on like this centralized format where someone in Abuja is taking responsibility for something that happens in my village that he probably would not know his way uh you know does not know what you know what the environment looks like does not understand it and I'm again remember I said our governors are crazy and if you give them that power if you add security to the excessive power they already display and I don't know where it will end but I don't I always do not want to say that because one person will abuse something, we shouldn't try it. That's why, but, you know, if we decentralize our policing system and a governor knows that beyond, that is not just paper that says he's the chief security officer, right? And then people in those localities do not see the problem with their security as an Abuja problem. Or the reason we are not safe is because of Abuja, right? Meanwhile, the person blaming Abuja for the insecurity does not know where Abuja is, right? And so we need to think about does our centralized nature add to the chaotic management of the process? Um, and again, also the, the operations of our security agencies leave so much to be desired, right? They are extremely high-handed. They treat those that they are supposed to protect as enemies. Like they treat them on the same scale as they treat the criminals they set out to fight. They do not see that a, a healthy relationship between the security officials and those they are supposed to protect is an essential ingredient in an in, in intelligence gathering. Which, which links back to what you just said about the centralized nature of our security yeah. apparatus. Yeah. So, because if, so if, 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 you're from if you're from the local area, it's very unlikely that you would have that sort of approach. Well, yeah, it's, it's, not it's, less, it's less it's unlikely. Just like, yeah, it's yeah, less, less unlikely. Let's yeah. not just be setting about it. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Our system, our environment is also a very peculiar one. But I'm, but, but I'm saying that, you know, think about it. If I see myself as a partner of the police, which is something I cannot see myself being, right? Uh, you know, their nature is not something I subscribe to. The high-handedness, the extreme nature they operate, the, you know, the whole... You lack know, of even trust. If it means, yeah, the lack of trust. If their approach is that even if it means killing one million people in order to get one person, they are okay. So they are okay with killing a million innocent people just to be able to get one single criminal. It should be the, the other way around. I would rather no innocent person dies 
and the criminal escape than kill an innocent person in an effort to kill a, 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 a criminal. So by their nature, they, they, I cannot see myself as their partner, right? And this is, this is something we have seen. Uh, in the early days of Boko Haram, uh, Mondu brought that up, in the early days of Boko Haram, you remember how trust broke down so much that you know, it was said, you know, there is no clear evidence, but it was said that the people in those regions trusted Boko Haram more than they trusted the army. Because yeah, when Boko Haram finished operating in an environment, the security forces who are sent, who are supposed to protect these people, return there and blame the people for allowing Boko Haram to use their environment and then give them the same punishment that they've just endured from Boko Haram. So in all of it, you know, that trust does not exist. So we need to see our way forward as building an essential trust between the people who the, who the security agencies are supposed to protect as an essential ingredient for intelligence gathering. Because what is this intelligence gathering? Is that I'm sitting somewhere at the beer parlor and I overhear some people uh, plan something that I think is a threat to the security of, of my community. I go to the police and say, look, I overheard these people talking this. I don't have evidence, but I think they are planning something. Can you look into it? That's intelligence that they don't, it's not like it's not a spiritual warfare. It's relying on those who live there. It's true. It's true. The the whole intelligence gathering is like those who are in the environment hear things, see things, are volunteering that information to the security agencies because they trust them, because they trust them to protect. Right now, you are you are at risk going to volunteer information to the police because you'd be likely to say, oh, you're part of the gang, right? So, how did you know? How did you know? How, how did you know? <laughs> you were there when they or, were planning it. Or how, how sure are you that the person you are speaking to, speaking to is not even in, in partnership with them. Which is which is a bigger risk. threat. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I think that we there are a few steps I, I think the army needs the new service chiefs needs to take. One is that they need to rebuild trust. Right. Is that with the NSAS, you know, with the NSAS protest, with you know, all of the high-handedness that's been reported in the region where the army has you know, been operating for a while, it's obvious that they need an essential point of, you know, starting this job is to rebuild trust with the citizens. That trust has completely broken down. That trust will also help them with intelligence um, gathering. You know, there's, there's, of course, it's been overflowed. The issue of lack of equipment has been overflowed. But it's also, it's also very essential that the new service chiefs are receiving um, leadership supports. They shouldn't be left to their own whims and caprices. They are experts, but experts need, need, need be, to be led, right? You are an expert, a subject area expert. There is a political leader who sees the broader view of these things. You are the, you're the one who provides technical advice that helps the leaders to make uh, those decisions. So they need to be provided leadership. I think that they need to be properly supervised. Uh, I'm not saying like sort of micromanage, but you know they need to be shown that the leadership is also interested in what they are doing. They need to be they need to be able to communicate what they are doing, you know, in a way that people can see that even if it is failing, we can see that effort is being made. There's really this whole we are here, we know what we are doing. You do not deserve to know what we are doing. 
right? Which is the approach they've used. Right now, if you tell me that the army is fighting in the Northeast region, I really do not, I can't say what exactly the details are. Nobody provides, it's an ongoing war. Nobody provides the public um, detail. When, so, when an army officer dies in operation, it's treated as, as a secret information that shouldn't be disclosed, right? But the, the other way in elsewhere, like if, if somebody dies in the line of duty, the public is, after the family is informed of that such death, the, the public is informed so that they understand the sacrifice that people are making. But here, they are buried at night secretly so that we don't know about casualties of war. And that way, if you're not in the region or you're not paying close attention to what is going on, you assume that there is peace and calm. And it's that whole falsehood that makes it seem like everything is okay if you are outside of those uh, areas. So there are a couple of things they need to do. There are low-hanging fruits. They need to rebuild trust, especially in the Northeast region. They need to re-engage. They need to communicate better. They need to be supervised. Leadership needs to be provided to them to be able to do the work. It's beyond, uh, yeah, money, equipment is essential, but leadership is extremely important if you want the new service chiefs to succeed. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Stan. Um, I just want to circle back a bit to one of the points you made about, because I don't know, I always tend to look at everything from a structural, I know from a structural point of view, and I know it's out there, it's nothing we can do now, but I, I like your perspective because it's the steps you've mentioned are steps that can be taken now. You know, practical steps that can be taken now. However, <clears throat> There's this argument that we have against, you know, uh, local policing that I've seen flying around and, and it hasn't been challenged. Um, and that's, you mentioned it today, which is, is something that a lot of, uh, you know, the antagonists uh, usually bring up anytime you say state policing. First of all, it shouldn't just be state policing. There should be state and local government policing, right? So it should be at the three levels of government. We have three levels of government. So let's not, let's, are you saying that policing, policing only ends at the state level? No. So there should be, there should be policing at the local level as well that deals with, you know, minor misdemeanors, you know, that, that tracks communal nips. Those are the people that need a lot of criminal, a lot of crime in the board before it becomes big. Now that's one. The issue that people mention a lot about, you know, the governor running, you know, rogue with the police force, is it's a real risk. But I think it's easily overcomable, and I'm not, I'm not making it a, I'm not making it a, I'm not taking it lightly at all. But I think it's actually easily overcomable, and it's all about design. I think the problem with Nigeria is that we, a lot of, a lot of all, all of the, all of the. Um, should I borrow a phrase? Any uh, the, the word anyhowness that we see in Nigeria. Anyhowness, today. yeah, 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 yes. Was it's designed? Was designed, and that's why it's, it's working perfectly. The anyhowness is designed, and just as you've designed anyhowness, you can design order as well. So the question, one of the few questions you want to ask is, how will the governor lord it over? And I'm just saying this because. I think it's something that we need to talk about more. How would the governor lord it over their local, uh, or over the state police, if, for example, the governor does not control their purse strings? That's it. That once you do that, that's it. If the governor doesn't control the purse strings 
and the commissioner of police is an elected position, those two things automatically, I mean, I'm not gonna, it's not a silver bullet, but it gives, it gives them a, a certain level of independence from the, 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 the governors. Manu, let me jump in here. Let me yeah. jump in here. And this is something I always say about how, I think it's, I might call it that it's basically cultural to us. And I, and I say this because sometimes I see things being done and I'm questioning why. I, and I think we operate from the point of fear, right? So once there is a fear about something is a good enough reason not to do it right that's a good enough reason not to do something the other day i was asking someone um about why how we build houses with small windows yeah and they said security so like that fear is enough reason to build yeah. a suffocating dark room you know so, so again, the fear that governors will abuse the state police is now good enough reason not to consider it. Nobody's talking about designing it in such a way that you make it immune from such control. And then put processes in place, design it in such a way that even the commissioner of police himself will not be able to abuse the system. You know, make it transparent, make it open, make the guideline, the processes, make the accounting, make everything so open that if somebody fails on the job, you don't need a special committee to know that the person is failing on the job and that yeah. the person Stanley, cannot transfer the blame to somebody else. Stanley, you look, once yeah. lived there, Mondi, you once lived there, you knew when you were here, when you guys were here, your council tax goes to fund your police. Yes. Part of your council tax fund the local police so you know flat flat <laughs> allocation a, a flat percentage of that yeah. council tax go to funding the police so, so you already million it goes to the police if you raise police so, education you know exactly. your your local your refuse road your the guys road tax, your roads your, the guys that are going tax. to get rid of the snow you know the guys are going to make sure everything is working properly in your in your city you know your your Taxes go to them. Blood yeah. drains and all that. So, yeah, go ahead. There's there's one important point I want to make, and I and I I say this because we're talking about the new service chiefs and the army, and it's it, when you think about it, it sounds as if we're fighting an external war, considering the level of activity we have subjected our military to, right? But the reason we are struggling with the army and you know they are overstretched is because we have failed at the basic policing. Because someone like uh, Yusuf, Muhammad Yusuf, that founded Boko Haram, started as a local problem that local policing, he was local a preacher. intelligence would yeah. have stopped. Yeah, he was they just a preacher. And he wouldn't have gotten violent. It's the high-handedness that turned them into the uh, militia they became and became the terrorist group that it metamorphosed met into. Right, so if we get our local policing right, because look, we're talking about the army the other day, they were in Oluimo State chasing Eastern Security Network people, they will be deployed to uh, you know, Southwest because there's clash between traders and the Sunday. Um, <laughs> let's think about it. Sunday, but these are local police issues 
that we have that we are spending so much and we i sometimes i feel the police is neglected when you compare the size of the military budget to what the police is getting i'm not saying that then you know there's a lot of abuse and waste in the system but we need to rethink how we are funding our security structure it's extremely important that we get our policing right because these big problems start as local problems that police failed to solve yeah sunday you mentioned yeah stanley you know the funny thing yeah i, I read a thread about how sunday started the other day on trials i mean um, do you know the funny thing? Even the current centralized system, you can still design it and still get a lot of effectiveness. Exactly. Current. And so, you know, before we talk about an, an, a, a constitutional amendment, the current centralized system as it was still as not it working is, effectively. It's yeah. still not working effectively. There is a way you can design. Yeah. It's all about design. What we're experiencing right now is by design. You know and and design. I think the good thing is that every, most Nigerians don't understand now understand that Nigeria it is the way it is by design. It is by it, design, yeah. It's a feature, mm-hmm. not a bug. It works. It works so well. It, it works it, so it well. It works so well for oh, yeah. a certain section of the society. And when you that's enter why, those circles, when you enter that's those, why you hear. Yeah, carry on, carry on. Sorry. Sorry. When you enter those circles, they are so. You don't want to spoil it. No. When they, you notice that you know the few times that you walk in those circles, you notice that they are so removed. From the daily, you know, experiences of Nigerians, just so far removed from it that you see, I see the reason why sometimes when people complain, the attitude is why are you complaining? Exactly. <laughs> because they are removed from it. They don't actually exactly. know. They don't know what the daily, what the daily and they don't, suffering and they don't, and, and and they don't want to know because no, no, they like don't a, care. It's like um, it's like an insulation, right? So they've been yeah. they've been insulated from it. So let, let me just go back to that uh, that point on on fear, right? So the way we let fear drive the things we do. So it's gotten to a point where when people give you an a, a reason not to do something, and they pick on that point that is based around fear. For instance, crypto. I was having a conversation with somebody on crypto and. You think about it, there's loads of good reasons to lean into crypto. There's loads of economic reasons. And for a country that has struggled economically for a very long time, we should be looking at uh, things that would boost our our, um, current state of um, economy, right? So I I was expecting us to like look at that first because without an economy, Without a healthy economy, we are going to have to deal with all sorts of issues. And the the current state of insecurity now is likely going to get worse if the economy continues to tank. This guy talks about the fact that you can use crypto to fund terrorism. And that was it. It was like, yeah, so because it's it's, um, anonymous, it would would, um, encourage terrorist financing. Fear, fear, fear. And now you say that to an average Nigerian, they would think, oh, it's terrorism. How can you how, how can you argue that you understand like, or do you yeah. want to encourage terrorism then you shut down that you shut down the argument yeah. when what we currently have right now is enough to even encourage terrorism you, you spoke about cash the the cash the the cash economy cash is the most high risk uh, uh financial instrument in the world and, Absolutely. and no, I mean with crypto I mean with crypto there's the digital yeah footprint right yeah and and another thing that a lot of the anti-crypto guys forget is that I can name countries um, 
quickly, quickly. There's an Eastern European country that has seized, as of October last year, it had $3 million worth of crypto. With the current price today, I'm sure it's a lot, that it seized from criminals. So the question is, you know, there are countries all over the world, even America. Yeah. America has a lot of, in America, um, I think a state, the other day, auctioned out cryptocurrencies that it seized from criminals. So yeah. my question is, <laughs> you know, it's not even North it's not Korea even, as well. There's yeah. a lot of North North Korean criminals doing doing um, crypto. Yeah. So my question they, is that that is not and that is not a reason why we should go for it. But again, um, our time is up. We don't want to um, go any further. It's been an yep. amazing conversation today. Um, absolutely, absolutely amazing conversation. Um, you know the, the issue with Nigeria. Nigeria always gives you content. Nigeria is a content generator. <laughs> There's always <laughs> something to talk about. Nigeria Absolutely. gives you a lot, a lot to talk about, and um, it, it never ends. It, it never ends. Hopefully, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about. We'll be seeing more positivity from Nigeria. Um, yep. So, right, it's uh, goodbye from me, Bane and Stanley and Mandiu yourselves. Thanks guys. Thank you guys. Thanks guys. Cheers. Please give us Cheers. feedback. Give us feedback. Tell us whatever you think we, should, we can do better. Um, we'll Write nasty it. things about Bane. <laughs> 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 All right. Bye now. Bye. <laughs> bye.